I know I'm supposed to start the message right now, and to some degree we have a time schedule that we're on. It's Sunday night, and man, oh man, oh man, uh, this guy can sometimes preach really long, and so we wonder what time are we ever going to get out of here. But I just sense for a moment, if I can just kind of go ad lib, if you will, uh, prior to the message, just say for, for what it's worth, just, you know... Be reassured tonight of Christ's love for you. His presence uh, in your life, His watch care. Uh, you know, the Spirit of God is at work. Uh, don't forget the Gospel. I feel like I'm throwing from the hip. But I guess the reason I just gently encourage you is that to some degree I can see on many of your faces, just an, a, a, an exhaustion. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, it just seems a, an overwhelmed sense of just tired. And I can understand what you're going through. And uh, just as one of your elders, as a friend, um, as a fellow laborer, I just want to encourage you and, and remind you of the fact that God loves you and uh, that, that Christ is sufficient, and that, uh, that God is, by His Spirit, fulfilling all of His purposes for your life. For what it's worth, I'm praying for you uh, that, 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 that you would be strengthened with power according to His glorious might for all that you face at home, in your marriages, at work, um, I know that we, we're doing war out there, as I was able to speak about last week here at North Central. We're doing war. It's a battle for good and evil, for righteousness and unrighteousness in this world. And you're engaged in it day by day. But know that God is faithful and He loves you. Eh, I'm done. Just wanted to give you an encouragement in that regard. So tonight we're, we're continuing in our series in Colossians. Uh, chapter, we're still in chapter 1. We're taking a look at a series that we've been calling uh, Christ Above All. You know, we spent so much time in the book of Acts, rightly and appropriately so, uh, being a new church, congregation on mission, uh, wanting to build the right foundations. And yet so often we can get lost there and we need to recalibrate and come back to the centrality of the, of the person of Jesus. And so we're getting a lot of Jesus lately. Does that sound good? Right? We're getting a lot of Jesus. And uh, Jeremy last week uh, did a great job at unpackaging for us a, a couple verses uh, in, 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 in that first chapter about how this, this Jesus that is, that is before all things, that is cosmic and is uh, universal in scope in terms of his, his dominion, his rule, and his reign, and his, his work on the cross reconciled all things to himself. And at the very same time, this is a, something that has been done personally for every one of you who believe and belong to Jesus. He reminded us who we once were and now who God has made us to be as the people of God, reconciled back into relationship with Him. And so now we move on in this chapter, starting in verse uh, 24. We're going to read through the end, uh, verse 29. 
And um, I think to some degree, as we take a look at this passage, we can be excited. It's like Christmas, right? It, we're, Paul's talking about our joy, right? Everybody wants to be happy. Everyone wants to have satisfaction. Everybody wants to have a smile on their face. It's a good thing. Many religions out there would say that we need to remove ourselves of all sense of desire and satisfaction and to be neutral. That's not Christian. We believe in joy. And Paul's going to talk about a pathway to joy tonight. But I will tell you this. It's going to come from a place that is very unexpected. Okay? Joy. Everyone say yay. Yay. Unexpected place. Hmm. Say hmm. Look at the look at the interaction taking place tonight. Colossians chapter 1 verse 24 through 29. Listen to what Paul is saying here. He says, "Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake." And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the Word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. This is Christ's Word. Everyone said, Amen. So, June 5th, 1999 was a very lovely date in my life. It was the day I got married to that beautiful woman in the back wearing purple. And you're all thinking, what was she thinking? Well, we're still trying to figure that out. Well, after 15 years of marriage this Thursday, yes, you better believe it, 15 years of marriage coming up Thursday, I can say with confidence, and I'm sure she would give the resounding amen, that indeed the book called Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus is indeed true. Right? So often, she thinks I'm from another planet. Uh, and, you know, me too. Well, you read this passage, and I don't know about you, maybe I'm missing something, but I read it and I think Paul's on another planet. Paul's crazy. He's, he's, he, I, we don't even know what this cat is talking about tonight when we read it. Did you look at what he said? He said, now I rejoice. I'm in. I'm in. Hey, count me in for happiness, right? But now I rejoice in my sufferings. What is he talking about? What is he getting at with a statement like that? I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm 
filling up, he goes on to say, what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. What? He seems like he's completely lost it. That he's out to lunch. That he's from another planet. You know, maybe he's been reading Relevant Magazine. Like, what is he thinking? You know, like, where's he coming from? Sorry, I kind of threw them under the bus. That was unintentional. (laughs) What is he getting at? He's from another planet. He's rejoicing in his suffering. That swims upstream, doesn't it? To the way that we think. To the things that we value. to To the things that give us joy in this culture. In America. In the suburbs. Right? Suffering is the way to experience joy. That's what he's... He's excited about that swims upstream. It's a, on the surface a very shocking statement for Paul to say he's rejoicing in his suffering for the sake of other people. And then on top of that, he's saying something which seems on the surface to be absolutely nuts. He's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Is he insinuating in any way, shape, or form that Christ's afflictions on behalf of His body in any way, shape, or form are deficient? That's what it seems to sound like, right? He's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the church. This is a very difficult statement. This is a shocking verse for so many of us as we read it. Because if you look at the context of Colossians, everything that we've been hearing is that Jesus alone is sufficient in His death and resurrection on our behalf to save us. To bring us back into relationship with God. That it is the work of Christ alone that is sufficient for the task. And so we read this and we begin to scratch our heads wondering if Paul is lost his mind. So what is going on with a statement like that? That he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Well, you can imagine that there is a ton of writing and jibber-jabber about this. Right? Let's start here. Everyone has concluded that Paul is not, in any way, shape, or form, bringing any sort of de- showing any sort of deficiency or minimizing the uh, in infinite value of the work of Christ on our behalf. Period. End of story. Paul is not doing that. He's not saying that there was any lack in the worth and the value of the work of Christ. So let's just start there. Everyone, except for a few kind of lost their light bulb moment kind of people, believe that. Okay? So let's just stay there. Now, Now, what is going on then? If he's not minimizing the value of Christ's work, what is taking place? What does he mean that he's not filling up, uh, that he's filling up what is lacking uh, in in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his church? Well, first of all, know this that the word for affliction is never in the New Testament tied to Christ's work, redemptive work. It's not, it's a different word. So he's using another word to explain it. So again, I think that reinforces it. One commentator believes that basically this is probably Paul's 
uh, shaping uh, or, or instilling an idea that, that there is this predetermined set of affliction that is going to take place in Jewish uh, expectation prior to the end. Okay, so if you can think about there's a Jewish expectation that there's a predetermined set of affliction that is going to take place prior to the end where God returns and, and, and closes up shop, defeats his enemies, and instills the kingdom of God. So the Jews, in many ways, some of the... Uh, those uh, intertestamental books had expectations that talked about that, that there's this, uh, there's this predetermined set of suffering that's going to take place. Uh, so that might be it, that, that what Paul is doing is that his, he's entering into the fellowship of Christ's sufferings, which he talks about in Philippians, and, and in some way he's adding to that predetermined uh, amount of, uh, of suffering that's going to take place before Jesus returns. Maybe that's it. Now, again, I'm having a hard time because I'm always on the John Piper bandwagon. Okay, so I just confess that I'm always on the John Piper bandwagon. And I've tried really hard not to like his understanding of this, but I think it's actually solid. And you may be thinking, why are we spending so much time on this? Well, it's significant in the passage, and it's tied to the joy that Paul is talking about. So, He's drawing on, John Piper draws on a similar phrase in Philippians, okay, where he talks about how Epaphras, right, is, is completing what was lacking in the Philippian church's service to Paul, money, okay? So there's a, I believe it's, um, well, I don't have the, the passage here, but it's, it's, it's in chapter 2 of the Philippians where he's talking about the fact that, that what Epaphras, is doing is he's bringing the gift to Paul from the Philippians. So the presentation of the gift is the way that Epaphras is what? Completing what was lacking in the Philippians' gift. Are you tracking with me at all? So that same phrase is used here. And so what he's saying here is, and I think it's a compelling one based on the grammar and the connection in the same author, is that basically... What, is, what he's doing is he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions is the presentation of that to the world. That this infinite, fully adequate affliction on behalf of the church is being, it, the only thing that's lacking in it is that it's not being presented to the nations. It's not being heard and proclaimed to the nations. It's not being received. And so, just in keeping with the, with the other passage from the Philippians, it kind of makes sense. I'm not saying it's definitely the case, but what you're seeing here is that the presentation of the affliction to the world, this is what Christ has done, is basically filling that up. It, and if you look at the context of the passage, that's exactly what Paul is talking about, what he's doing, right? He's making something known. He's revealing a mystery that has been hidden about the, to the Gentiles. And so basically, he concludes his argument by saying that Christ's affliction propitiates, means it, it gets away the wrath of God so that, so that we can have fellowship with Him, but it's our suffering that propagates. Do you understand? Our suffering doesn't add any redemptive value to our salvation. But our suffering does 
uh, proclaim and present to the world the sufferings of Jesus. Do you get that? So that's why Paul is rejoicing in his suffering. Because it is presenting to the world, giving the world an opportunity to hear and respond to that infinite work of Christ's suffering on behalf of the world. Suffering is, is just, by God's design, a way by which we reveal the gospel to the world. Right? And Jesus said this is what was going to happen. Right? He talks about it in the Beatitudes. Right? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. What? It swims upstream. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. And they, another way to say blessed is happy. Happy. Happy are those who are persecuted, right? Who, who, um, blessed are you who are reviled. Who all evil, all kinds of evil are spoken against you on account of Jesus. Joy comes as we suffer for the sake of God and His people. And that's so counterintuitive to the way we think in our American, suburban, affluent context. And we look at this and we begin to think, man, that prosperity gospel doesn't make much sense at all, at least when it lines up with Scripture, does it? That the idea that that suffering would be the cause of not believing. Right? If you just believe enough, everything will go right. Everyone will love you. You will have all that you want in this life. If you just believe enough that affluence and, and ease and health and prosperity is God's heart for His people in this world. And that could not be further from the truth. He wants us to be full of joy, amen? Joy is what He has for us, but it's not through that. It's through what we would least expect. It's through suffering on behalf of God and His people. That's why Paul is rejoicing. That's why he's, he's saying, I rejoice in my suffering, because my suffering is presenting the infinite value of Jesus to the world. It's not just the result of presenting Jesus. Suffering is in fact a part of the presentation. Jesus says we're to expect that. But the reality is this. And I've got to be honest with you. I had a hard time in sermon prep on this one. First of all, I had a nasty headache all week. And second of all, I was trying to translate this in my life. Are you having a hard time translating this? I wrestled all week. Illustrate this. Well, I've got to go to church history or some other believer that doesn't serve in this country. I know that's an overstatement. But I've got to dig deep to find an illustration of this reality. How does this 
joy and this experience intersect our day-by-day experience. The truth is, for most of us, in some way, shape, or form, again, I'm the worst at overstatement, but is it fair to say that it doesn't translate? It just doesn't. But it should, right? It should. It should. And even our understanding of suffering. <laughs> like when, when things don't go our way, we call that suffering. When we don't get what we want, <laughs> man, I'm really going through a lot. You know, man, my life is hard. You know, I got laminate floors, man. You know? Right? Humorous and bullseye. That's when we get, when, and I also think we, we think we're suffering when something happens to us that we don't want. We experience something that we're not really interested in. That's how we think about when we think about suffering. But I don't, I think even the way we think about suffering is twisted. It's built on and, and connected to this American dream that everything's supposed to go right that we get everything that we want when we want it. Please understand that any harsh, direct, if there's any finger pointing at all, it's, I'm looking at a mirror. So please know that the word is coming to me in this, even though I'm an instrument to give it to you. I don't think he's talking about his inability to afford a new Honda or to get granite countertops. He's not rejoicing in the fact that he can't have a 2,000 square foot house for them. He's talking about something completely different. This is about his persecution. This is about his, the world rejecting him. This is about his life. This is about him proclaiming a message to the world and losing because of it. Being in jail because of it. Locked up. This is about losing his life for the sake of others simply because of a message he proclaims. And in many ways, I think that it doesn't translate for us because of, uh, you know, I think there is a sense where we can praise God for the, the nation in which we live, that there are freedoms. And so we don't, we don't get imprisoned for preaching the gospel. But that day may come soon, Christian. It may come. And how will we respond to it then? Will we be bummed out? Or we will join in the joy of Paul. And say, rejoice in this. That I can suffer. So I wonder how this translates with our nine to five and our just perspective on life. To be honest, I'm praying that it dives deep into my heart. And it takes root in yours as well. But again, let's be clear, he's happy, <laughs> right? He, he's rejoicing in his suffering. He's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. He's pumped. He's the tone of this passage is heavy, but it is joyful. 
isn't it? It's joyful. And I, here's the thing. It's happy. You know why? Because Paul is getting what he wants. I want you to see that. Right? It, that, that, that suffering isn't necessarily not getting what we want. It's, Paul is getting exactly what he wants. The impact, the result that he wants is happening. His vision for his life, his calling, is being fulfilled. He's seeing fruit from his ministry. And I think that's what we see next, that that joy comes as we suffer for God and his people. There's no doubt about it. But joy comes as we see our suffering as serving God's purposes in the world, right? Right? There's, there's purpose behind it. Suffering itself, eh, but suffering on purpose for the purposes of God in the people of God, that gives us joy. When we see that all of our labors, all of our service, all of our struggle, all of our giving, right, all of our loss translates into fulfilling the purposes of God in the world for His people That'll give you joy. And that's what Paul's excited about. Right? He goes on to say that that he's a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to him for the Colossian Christians. He's a minister. He's a servant. The word there is deacon. He's a servant. Paul sees himself as a servant of Christ's church. That's his identity. It's been made by God. He's been made a minister. He didn't make himself a minister. God, in his saving of Saul, Paul, which we looked at a couple months ago, made him a servant of the church. That's who we are. We're servants. People say, I'm trying to figure out my identity. You know, I don't really know who I am. Friends, the scriptures teach that we are deacons. We are servants. We're ministers of the church. We're not just members. We're servants. And joy comes not just when we suffer, but joy comes that when our suffering is in service to the purposes of God in His people. So that's why Paul is full of joy. He sees himself as a servant, and his service is bringing about the purposes of God. To make that Word of God fully known. He sees the Word of God being proclaimed, taking root in the lives of people, and it's bearing fruit. And we see the ultimate fruit, and the ultimate purpose is at the end of 28, right? This Him we proclaim, meaning Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is God's vision for your life. For you to be conformed, sanctified, mature, complete, whole in Christ. Let me ask you something. What's your vision for your life? Do you have one? Men, what's your vision for your marriage? Husbands, what do you see in five years? When you dream, when you envision 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 
30 years. What do you see? Begin to describe it in your mind right now. What's your vision? What's your, what do you see in the future? Because I think that's, in many ways, what we're pursuing. We're going after that with all that we've got, with reckless abandon. When you have a vision for something and, and, and you see it out into the future, you run after it. You go for it. But what is that? I would say that, that all your decisions now, all your resources now, right, all your relationships to some degree are being leveraged in the moment for something in the future. And if you don't have a vision, that's a little scary because you don't know where you're headed. And your decisions in the present are taking you who knows where, right? To some degree. I take out the sovereignty of God in that. Forgive me. But we see God's vision for your life. We see God's vision for your marriage. We see God's vision for your family. We see God's vision for your work. Guess what it is? Conformity to the image of Jesus. Maturity. That is when people see you, they see Jesus. That's God's vision. You say, man, I thought he just saved me to go to heaven. Well, he did save you to go to heaven, right? But he saved you for so much more that you would become like Christ in every facet of your existence, right? So is that your vision? Is that your 10-year plan to be like Jesus? Again, notice the mirror. What about your wife? Is your wife there for, for you? Is your husband, I'm talking to you directly, are, is your vision for your wife that she be conformed to Jesus? Do you relate to her? Do you love her? And do you listen to her that she becomes like Christ or that she becomes uh, something that serves and makes you look better? Yikes. This is God's heart for us, and it's good. I know it sounds like I'm, I'm coming harsh, but understand it. It's good. It's corrective, but it's good. This is where joy is. As, as, as one of the elders here, this is my heart for our people, right? That they would find joy. <laughs> I want you to have joy. I want to have joy, but I don't want it in the things of this world. I want it in Jesus in suffering for His name, in serving His purposes in the world. And so you look at one another and you say, you know what, I'm a servant of the church so that all my brothers and sisters in the Lord become like Jesus. That's why we're here, to rub shoulders, to encourage one another, all the more as the day approaches when He comes back. And guess what? When we see Him, what are we going to be like? Him. That's good. That's joy. But for so many of us, our vision is not that. Our vision needs corrected. For so many of us, this is a cause for our repentance. And yet there are so many of us that wake up every day with this hope in mind. We wake up and we pray every day that we would be like Jesus. 
that his purposes and his priorities would be manifest in our life. If that's you, be reassured that he who began a good work in you will, be bring, it, will bring it to completion, right? His power is at work in you. That desire, first of all, is not human. That desire is the Spirit of God that lives inside of you. So if you want to be like Jesus, that's evidence that God is doing His job in conforming you to the image of Christ. And when you're frustrated, when you disobey, and you're like, you know, I don't know why I did that, I don't know why I acted that way, and you feel that sense of conviction, and you say, I'm not living in conformity to Jesus, and I feel the misery of it. Guess what? Be assured, even that is the work of the Spirit saying, that's not right. That's not you. That's not in keeping with my vision for you. That doesn't give you joy. That brings misery. So even that is a grace that brings you back and woos you back to that vision. So be reassured. Even in your failures, when you feel it, be reassured. That God is working His purposes in your life to give you joy. How? How does God get what He wants in your life? Verse 28, Him we proclaim, right? It's Him. Him we proclaim. Admonishing and teaching. The admonishment is the corrective term. The teaching is the positive term of, of instruction and sound doctrine. We're teaching Jesus. I'll never forget, we were planting a church way back when. When I say that, it's like five years ago, you know. Uh, way back when. And the first few months, all we did was preach the gospel. We preached Jesus. Preached passages that centered on uh, the salvation, right? Forgiveness of sin. And finally, somebody said at a meeting that we had, okay, all this gospel, Jesus, and grace stuff, is great, believe you me. But when are we going to move on from Jesus and start to talk about things that are practical in our lives, like financial management and communication and relationships? And I just sat there like... Never. <laughs> Never! <laughs> we all want and need those things. Again, I'm the king of overstatement. But friends, we don't move on from Jesus. There's never a series that's not in keeping with and connected to Jesus. We're not going to come up with some seven steps to anything series. I hope I don't come up with that someday after now saying that. Right? Renovation, missio. We stand on the person and work of Jesus. We believe He is the answer to every one of our questions. He is sufficient. We don't need to turn to anything else. He does not get the shelf at any point. Him we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. He's the content and He's the end game. Jesus. And so we do not move on from him in any way shape or form that's how god carries out his purposes and yet don't miss this it's not only jesus but it is the church him we proclaim that's plural 
That's the apostolic ministry. That's the ministry of the church that is revealing and teaching and admonishing and preaching and proclaiming, find another word, Jesus. That's what we do. That's what missional communities are all about, teaching about Jesus. That's what Sunday nights are going to be. We're going to talk about Jesus. When we serve, we go in the name of Jesus. Because it is ministry submitted to and representative of Jesus. What? That serves God's purposes in the church. That leads to your joy. That leads to your maturity in Christ. That's why we do it. That's the way God gets what he wants. Through his people that proclaim Christ to the world. And that's how people come to faith in Jesus, right? Not by osmosis, not by a billboard. They come to Jesus when the church proclaims the name of Jesus. That's why we emphasize it all the time. That's why we drive each other crazy with my circle. Man, if we have another my circle night, jeepers, you know, community service. Why? Because this is how God does it. He uses his people to proclaim Christ to people who become his people. And it goes on. This is joy. Joy in suffering in such a way that it is serving God's purposes in the church. And all of this, again, is built on, all of our serving is built on the service of Jesus on our behalf, isn't it? It all gets tied back. Right? We serve because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? Serve and to give His life. There's service. When you're serving each and every week, in some way, shape, or form, even if it's small, when you serve God's people, when you serve the community, you are giving up your life in accordance with the way Jesus did. And because of Jesus and His service. It's a testimony to that. And last, we see that he goes on to say, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For this, to that end. Right, Paul's saying, to, to your maturity, Colossians. To the maturity of all of Christ's people. That they would be conformed to Jesus. To that end, I toil. I struggle. The word is actually to take a beating. I take a beating for that. It's a pretty powerful word. It's not just, you know, I drop a sweat here and there. I give a buck here and there. It's like take a beating. In my body, I'm taking a beating for the sake of the people of God and their maturity in Christ. He goes on to say, and I love it, that he's struggling, right? The joy comes from struggle. It comes from suffering, it comes from serving, and it comes from a struggle. Man, it just continues to get weirder. I can't stand things when they're a hassle. Somebody give me an amen for that. Hassles drive me nuts. This is a hassle. I don't want to do this, right? We can't stand that. Hassles. Things aren't perfect, you know? Who likes to bring in the groceries? What a hassle. This is a pain. It's like 30 seconds, right? But it's like, oh, I don't want to do that. Right? He's taking a beating 
And the wonderful thing is this, is that he's not doing it on his own strength, right? He's struggling with all his energy, this, the energy of Christ powerfully working within him. That at all times, as we suffer, as we serve and as we struggle, as we take a beating for one another in the church for the purposes of God in the world, as that happens, the Holy Spirit is actively involved in our lives. He's empowering us. We're not left alone, under-resourced. We have the Spirit and power from heaven to do all the above, not just to get it done, but to do so with joy. Right? It is not worship. To stand here, I'm supposed to raise my hands. I don't want anything to do with this. Be glorified. Like, oh, I just want to go home. That's not worship. You do it with joy. That's worship. That's what God wants. And so that's what the Spirit of God empowers here. That He is getting it done in us and through us. And there's actually an effectiveness in the term that is used there. The term that is used about the power working in us to be effective would be the better rendering. Again, so many of us live our lives as though we're running on a treadmill, don't we? That, man, we're working hard. And guess how far we're getting? Nowhere. Right? We're, we're running full speed. And really, we're just running in place. And many of us feel that frustration in life. But what we see here is the power that's at work in us gives us joy because it doesn't just give us the ability to do it, to serve and to suffer, but it gives us the ability to see impact on the lives of people. Effectiveness. Isn't that wonderful to see? That when God works in us, He does so in such a way that it causes us to be effective in our struggle, in our service, and in our suffering. I think that's something that gives us joy. That when it makes an impact, when it makes a difference, when we see God causing our, our suffering to literally be seeds in the lives of people that are planted, causing spiritual growth in people, that gives us joy. It wasn't a waste of time. It made an impact. And so Paul is experiencing joy because it's suffering is effective toward maturing all of Christ's people in Him. This is the unexpected place that we find joy. In the place of suffering. In the place of service. And in the place of struggle. Jesus flips human logic upside down, doesn't He? And friends, I think it's important for us to recognize that really this is simply just love for other people. He loves God, obviously, that's what motivates Him. But He loves people. He's willing to endure all of this at the hands of unbelievers for the sake of God's purposes in the lives of those who do believe. 
Is that us? Are we willing to endure anything in the temporal at the hands of those who do not believe for the sake of those who do believe? Friends, that's love. That's concern. And it's Christ-like love at that. Willing to endure temporal suffering and struggle for the sake of Christ's people. Is that us? So often I think we struggle with any level of being inconvenienced whatsoever for anybody else's sake. And we lose that sense of love. I know I do. But Paul obviously loves these people. And he understands the nature of community, right? We all love relationships. We all love community, but man, the commitment that comes with it, that's usually when we get a text not going to make it, right? Right? When it begins to negatively affect our perfect human experience, we begin to backpedal. When it messes with our money and our time and our emotion, wrinkles our shirt in any way, shape, or form, we begin to backpedal. But friends, this is community. This is love. This is what Paul and these people have known and shared together. They're committed to each other. And they're committed to the purposes of God in the world. And they're willing to endure anything for the sake of it. Just by the simple fact that they love one another. And have been bound together by the love of Christ. And at the end of the day, Paul, again, let's not forget, is happy as a clam. He's joyful. And I think... In some ways, he reminds me of David Livingstone. Everybody, anybody ever heard of David Livingstone, the missionary to Africa? I'll read a quote from him, and then we'll be all set here. Who knows how long I've gone at this point. He says, people talk of the sacrifice I've made in spending away all of my life in Africa. He says, away with the word in such a view. And away with such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger. Now and then, with the foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life, may make us pause and cause our spirit to waver. And the soul to shrink. But let this only be for a moment. He goes on to say, All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us and for us. And he ends with this phrase that is unforgettable. I never made a sacrifice. People were saying, Wow, man, look at you. We're so grateful for all the sacrifices you've made. You've let everything go in this world for the sake of Africa. And at the end of the day, he said, away with that concept. I'd never made a sacrifice. He knew and entered into the joy of Paul, didn't he? That suffering and serving God's purposes in the world and struggling, toiling toward the maturity of all Christ's people from here 
to Timbuktu was what he was called to do. And as far as he could tell, he was getting everything that his heart would ever desire. He made no sacrifice. He was full of joy. And I wonder if we cannot learn something today from this saint. That joy comes from suffering on behalf of God and His people in such a way that it serves God's purposes in the world. And the fact that we struggle with all of Christ's power working within us. May we be those people that say at the end of the day, ha, I never made a sacrifice. Let's pray. Lord, we have so much to learn here. We need to spend time in this text. But we are grateful for the Word tonight which lays before us infinite joy and satisfaction in the work and person of Jesus represented in the life, the servitude, and the ministry of Paul. Whatever you're calling us to do, whatever experiences are necessary for your purposes, I pray that we would be ready, that we would be willing, and that we would be available to suffer, serve, and struggle for all that you have and all that you want for this world, whatever you would call us to. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.